0: This podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network.
1: A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend.
0: has resigned. She announced her resignation this morning after 44 days in the job, citing the fact that she could not deliver on the mandate she received. It was not a surprise because there has been and was yesterday shocking scenes really in the House of Commons. The business of government had been placed to one side and various factions in the Tory party were fighting Among themselves. And of course, Trust is a representative of one of those factions, which is the hard right. And we're joined now by Chris Johns to talk about these really remarkable developments. Chris, I think it's often said and not really true that we've never seen anything like this before, but this has been the shortest premiership in British history. And even the way it ended with very unpleasant scenes in the House of Commons last night and the complete polarization of this party into the various factions. By any standards, this is shocking. And Britain is really making a fool of itself in the eyes of the world. And the new arrangements which we'll come to in a minute don't make things any better. She had no choice, did she? Well,
3: There are plenty of commentators this morning actually saying that she did because she could have just continued on because there was no one faction big enough in the Tory party to actually get rid of her to um, do whatever it is that the 1922 committee. So she could have actually taken advantage of what is a very important feature of today's Conservative Party, which is that they are utterly and completely split into many and varied factions, none of which is dominant and, uh, therefore none of which can, uh, produce something like the resignation of a prime minister or a forced resignation of a prime minister. So she jumped. And, uh, as I say, there is spec, we'll never know, but there is speculation that she could have continued. She, as you say, she is the shortest lived prime minister in history. Uh, historians are producing little charts this morning of the names of people who um, did last a bit longer than her and commenting that, um, uh, there's a famous cricketer called Sir Alistair Cook that he spent more minutes batting for England than <laughs> his trust spent as prime minister. But George Canning was somebody that nobody has ever heard of that was the was the next in the league table. He died. And the names of the short-lived prime ministers are, are quite a list, actually. They include the Duke of Devonshire, the Earl of Shelburne, and the Duke of Grafton, Lord Grenville. So it's ancient history when you are short-lived in, in, in this way. Um, the the, the laughing stock that you mentioned uh, the, is, is getting a bit of pushback actually from from some unexpected quarters. This week's Economist newspaper has a cover um, which it published last night actually um, early um, and a headline saying "Welcome to Brittaly," making yeah, reference to what uh, yes, you and I have talked about yeah. before, which is that Britain is becoming like. Italian style politics and of course a letter has gone into the economist now from the ambassador of Italy very diplomatically complaining like hell about the comparison um, he thinks it's somewhat inappropriate and that Italy is a far more stable place than is the united kingdom so yeah people are laughing but it really isn't funny from No a, it,
0: and the yesterday the last blow i suppose was the resignation of suela braverman who was the home secretary Bravenman is a hard-right politician. She's part of the European Research Group. That is the hard-right rump, numbering, I think, about 120 or so. But Truss was their candidate. Kwasi Kwatang was one of them. He lasted a very short time. His budget was ripped up by Jeremy Hunt, who was co-opted to be chancellor having been a Remainer and standing for the kind of one-nation Toryism these people don't like, and among these people would be Liz Truss. So it has unraveled very badly, and Suella Braverman, in her resignation letter, made a point of really getting stuck in to Liz Truss. Braverman pointed out that she'd made mistakes and she had resigned and making it reference to the virtue of if you aren't up to the job and if you make mistakes, you should go, which was a very pointed remark about Liz Truss. It is true to say, Chris, isn't it, that she wasn't up to the job and never looked like she could do it.
3: Completely. Um, and this is one of the many problems that the Tory party currently faces, and the country, therefore, faces the people that are turning up in cabinets. And you and I have talked about this for a long time, the cabinet under yes. Johnson wasn't much better. Their ability to uh, do the job of government is clearly lacking. Their ability actually to be decent politicians is severely lacking. They can't think strategically, and it's also the case that they can't think tactically. Strategically, they make huge errors all the time. Brexit, let's start there and work our way through a whole list of big, big strategic errors. Making Boris Johnson prime minister would be another one up there near the top of a very Long list of big strategic calls that this party now keeps getting wrong. Remember that David Cameron called this called a Brexit referendum uh, to try and unite the party, and he, his words were, "I'm doing this to stop the party banging on about Europe." That was a good strategic call, wasn't it? Yes. And then uh, he he defeated Ed Miliband. You know that name. And yes, the, 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 the 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 Tories campaigned. On a promise that if the country elected Ed Miliband, that there would be chaos, and that was another good call, wasn't it? Um, that, that, you know, that's not even ironic. So there, there are many, many different strands to this that, that one needs to, to to unpick. But I think at the heart of what is going on, and we can talk about Kwasi Kwarteng's budget and how that provoked a lot of what has happened. But at the heart of all of this, there is a simple, simple truth, which is that reality has now smack these people in the face. Life comes at you hard sometimes. And it's the fundamental contradictions uh, uh, that all of these factions represent, mean that uh, explain why we got to where we're at and why it's not going to get any better. Raymond. Because if there's one insight, or if there's one opinion that I would leave you with today, is that I don't think whoever they elect as prime minister is going to make things better. Certainly not from an economic Perspective. No, you know, this let is,
0: me this just, just make clear to our listeners, Just to, sorry to interrupt you, but just to make clear to our listeners that Jeremy Hunt has made it clear that he is not a candidate to be Prime Minister. So he's going to try and stay as Chancellor of the Exchequer. But there are many people who are going to run, Chris. I just want run some of that, including Boris Johnson. Yes. He's one of the top three in the bookmakers betting. We are learning on Sky News that he may fly back from the Caribbean where he's on holiday, and he could well be returned to lead the Tory party and therefore to be prime minister. That is not by any means being ruled out by anybody. No,
3: and and, um, a a question naturally arises. Uh, Would he be the second or third prime minister this year? Um, Does he count twice? Uh, no, he is, as I say, the, um, either equal favourite or all the bookies' favourite, depending on which which odds you're looking at. Um, and th- there are all sorts of stories that um, uh, Tory MPs, who uh, let's you know, not forget, it wasn't that long ago that Tory MPs got rid of him via, I think it was nearly seventy resignations from the government by cabinet ministers, yes. junior ministers, and various other uh, hangers-on in the government. So what? Who, who could Johnson appoint to his cabinet? I, I, it would be quite something for any of those seventy to reappear in the cabinet. They and some of them have been speaking anom- anonymously to journalists this morning and saying that if Johnson comes back, they'll resign and trigger by elections. And that whether or not that's true or not, I don't know. But the, yeah, it, let's
0: just look at the process that the 1922 committee have put and and the Conservative Party's board, some of whom look like they're out of a cartoon. The process is as follows. Anyone who wants to go forward has to gain 100 backers. That count will be completed by 2 p.m. on Monday, this coming Monday, and the contest will be decided by the following Friday. And to go forward, you'll need at least 100 votes from Tory MPs, and here's the what I'd really be interested in your opinion. I'm sure I listen as well as well. And if there are two candidates with 100 votes, the top two candidates on Monday, next Monday at 2 p.m., the voting will then go to an online ballot of the Tory party members, the people who rejected Rishi Sunak to give us Liz Truss. But well, you, you can unpick that, Chris, and maybe with your technological gifts, you can tell us about the prospect of Russian bots taking control of this election.
3: Well, yes. I mean, the, the, already there is speculation that the Russians will try to hack this online process. I wouldn't trust the Conservative Party's technological capabilities as much as I trust their economic they're capabilities. Gonna
0: test, they're going to test their own.
3: Yes, no, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So the the idea that it could be put back to this membership of the Conservative Party, which resulted, as you say, in Liz Truss becoming most inappropriately Prime Minister, because she's not, clearly she wasn't capable in any sense of the term of being a Prime Minister, of running a government, of running anything, to to be honest. She just didn't have those capabilities. The idea that we just rerun this, isn't that the definition of madness, that we keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result? It is clearly insane. In my opinion, it is v- very clearly undemocratic, undemocratic for this very narrow cross section of British society, this very small cross section of British society, to once again impose a prime minister um, on, on the UK that uh, nobody apparently would seem to want. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a daft process, it's, a, it's an undemocratic undam- process, and I think my own personal view is that, anyway, that democracy. The democratic process could be restored in the UK now as if they had a general election. I think yes. any other outcome is going to be so obviously daft um, and uh, it won't work. The, the point that I will keep hammering on is that whoever they put in, Johnson, Sunak or whoever, it's going to be dreadful in the UK and the fundamental problems facing the UK will not be addressed by any of the potential leaders. So the right thing to do is a general election. Of course, they won't do it you know, there was a very interesting interview with a backbench MP on the news yesterday, in which he was virtually in tears over all of this. It was quite striking just how emotional he had become. This very sober gentleman, and uh, he he clearly was, is at the end of his tether, as indeed many are of his colleagues. But the interesting thing that he said was, apart from what this means for the country at large, my colleagues are all worried about their own mortgages because. Yeah, that they was all,
0: Charles Walker, actually yes, a decent that's right. guy who I think he said he he wouldn't run in a, a subsequent election. The point about the unwillingness to go to the country is important in another respect, Chris, including Theresa May, Boris Johnson. Now we have Liz Truss. So in 10 days time, we'll have had four Tory prime ministers in a very short period of time. And if I haven't done the sums on this, but many more chancellors than that as well. And isn't the truth that this party is hopelessly split between the Spartans, the hard right that Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwasang led or are leading members of, and she also espoused their values. She talks in her resignation speech about f- failing to deliver on the mandate she received, Given the mini-budget, as it was called, that Kuatang produced, clearly it was madness, but it was very ideological, and it has increased Britain's problems economically substantially, hasn't it?
3: Yeah, absolutely. That, the, the pound is, is, is low um, because of this and other Brexit-related uh, economic co- consequences. Interest rates are already higher and they're going to be a lot higher than would, would have been otherwise the case. Other, you know, Interest rates is going to be higher than necessary if we had a stable political system. So the, the, we call it a risk premium um, in financial markets. That Britain is now a more risky place than it was because of this political instability. And it become, starts to behave more like what we call emerging markets from uh, other parts of the world in which, because of the political backdrop, is so unstable that asset prices, things like share prices, things like government bond deals, all have to attract a higher price to entice foreigners to invest in the country. And that's why interest rates are much higher. But you mentioned that the that Liz Trust couldn't unify the party. And my point is that nobody can. Because remember that this is yeah. a party that since the Brexit referendum, um, they've been able to define themselves factionally by what they don't like. They've hated the spending cuts of Philip Hammond and voted against them. They rejected wholeheartedly the tax rises of Rishi Sunak, another chancellor. They uh, put quasi-quateng in place for for tax-cutting excess, which is now completely and utterly blown up. And now there's a chance, of course, that under a new prime minister and or the backbenchers may well line up to reject the austerity, because that's what it is, of of um, Jeremy Hunt. It doesn't like high inflation, but wants low interest rates. So, and the two at the moment simply do not go together. It wants to be fiscally sound, which means rough running a balanced budget. That traditionally is what the Tories represent, sound money, sound finances, balanced budgets, that sort of thing. But it wants to keep taxes low, wants to keep spending high, and it, and it wants to be pro-growth, which all politicians are, but it you know to be pro growth you can't have this uh, war effectively with your biggest trading partner if you want to be pro growth you have to be pro immigration in this modern world you can't do that uh, if you want to be pro growth you can't say we're not going to build anything ever again because of our restrictive planning laws and NIMBYism uh, the list of contradictions is endless and given that long list who could unify that very split party. Now, I would argue, of course, that that long list of contradictions has as its heart, but not the only driver, and that's Brexit, because Brexit's been been dividing the Conservative Party for more than a generation now, and reality has come home to bite them very, very hard. And I think that the only way that you could see your way through to this getting better at some point in the distant future is it has to start with admitting, acknowledging, and facing up to the reality that, that, that is the economic and political and social consequences of Brexit. But they're like the Japanese soldiers fighting in the jungle 30 years after the war has ended. They simply will not do this. They will not recognize the reality that is the Brexit disaster. And until they do that, they're not going to make anything better.
0: No, and people like Braverman. Man there's another woman, Kemi Badenoch, who ran in the leadership race. She's going to run again, we understand. And they're running Boris May. Boris believes in nothing, so it's not too difficult for him to run. Penny Mordaunt is going to run. Grant Shapps is going to run. Brandon Lewis said he's going to run. And of course, Sunak, Rishi Sunak will run. So it does seem that there isn't the possibility that Britain can put a government that is unified and willing to be led on the field at all?
3: Certainly not from the Conservative Party, which is... So that's,
0: and I should have clarified, from the Conservative Party. Yeah, and but... the other question I'd like to ask you is, where are the British people in all of this, other than his suffering with their mortgages, with food prices, with all kinds of problems, and? They don't get to say what this Tory party, which has now been in power for 12 years, they don't get to say, they don't get a vote. Isn't a general election, and we have no interest in this, well, I I don't. Really, there does need to be a general election, doesn't there? And a cleansing. The kind of operation the Tories are conducting amongst themselves, the civil wars, should be conducted in opposition, shouldn't they?
3: Yes, um, they shouldn't shouldn't be allowed to wreck the country while they are conducting this civil war. This civil war, I've spoken to several people about it this morning, and various people have said to me that they think this is the end of the Tory party as we know it. Yes. That that, um, something will eventually emerge, a a new, they'll still be called conservatives probably, that will be um, center-right. They will be pragmatic rather than ideological. But the bridge from here to there It it doesn't exist. There is no unity candidate because the current conservative parliamentary party is ununifiable. And so therefore something very dramatic has to happen to to really allow these various splinter groups to go off and join Nigel Farage's party or form their own new party or whatever. But this uh, process is going to take a very long time with a very uncertain outcome. And they can't do it while they're trying to run the country the country is actually yeah. being run into the ground. And people are, you ask, how about the British people? I mean, I can't speak for all of them, but certainly as a Brit and, and speaking to lots of different uh, types of Brit, I spoke to a lifelong Tory voter this, only just before we came on air, actually, a very good friend of mine. And he said for the first, you know, this is a guy in his 60s, and he is going to vote Labour. Um, absolutely yes. certain of it. And I think that that small piece of, evidence, data, whatever, um, is, is symptomatic of, of the, how the country feels. They, they feel that they've been taken for a ride by this lot, um, that they are uh, engaging with issues that uh, the people just aren't interested in anymore because the people are interested in you know, inflation, the cost of living, interest rates, and all those other things that um, seem to be almost irrelevant now to what's going on in Westminster. When politics becomes a, totally irrelevant to people's lives, then you yes. know something is very, very wrong. So yes, the only, the only thing that resolves this potentially, and I stress potentially, is a change of government. But the same point applies to Labour that I'm making about Conservative because there has been, for the last six years in Britain, a taboo of silence about the consequences of Brexit. And it, yes. Pierre Starmer is as much a victim of this or responsible for this as anybody else. And uh, he too needs to face up to reality I'm not suggesting for a second that Britain he, should he's rejoin. He's already
0: being asked, Chris. That he was asked last week, I saw it, about Brexit, and he, he bottled it. He well, we doesn't want
3: to talk about it. This is the taboo no. of silence because there is this no. belief, and I think it's erroneous. I do think it's wrong. There is this belief that even to mention Brexit loses you votes. Whereas yeah. I think a grown-up conversation with the British people, which goes along the lines of, look, we're never going to rejoin the EU, this side of a, a generation anyway. Even if we wanted to, the EU wouldn't have us. I mean, there's no way we'd be allowed to rejoin, even if we wanted to, and we no. don't. So, the, I accept the reality of Brexit, is what Keir Starmer should say, but we need to reset the relationship with Europe. And if that means having that debate about the single market and the customs union and all those other things that um, left people cold back then, it can be done. But I do think the time has come for that grown-up conversation to say that we need a new dispensation, we need a new relationship with our largest trading partner, we're not going to get the economy moving again in any meaningful way until our trading relationships have been fixed. Interestingly, there was a paper from your ESRI in Dublin out this week on Britain's trading economic relationships with the EU, giving numbers to just how big the hit has been. And it, it's an interesting source for this, but it's yet another piece of data, piece of evidence, that says the British economy has been badly damaged by Brexit. Yes. And
0: I have Brit- one figure here, 16% loss in exports from Britain to the EU.
3: Now, in the wider scheme of things, that... that may not have been the disaster that I'm suggesting that it has been. If the economy was robust, if the economy was in good shape and was firing on all cylinders, yes, it wouldn't have been nice to have that kind of hit to exports, And yes, the companies involved would have taken a lot of pain. But from a big picture macro perspective, we could have weathered it. But the economy isn't in good shape. It wasn't in good shape in 2016. It's been flatlining on a whole host of important economic measures, really since the financial crisis. the, um, a particularly important one would be real incomes per head, for example. It's, it's something that we pay close attention to. That's flatlined now for over a decade. And this is one of the reasons why we have the, the, these problems is that they're squabbling and fighting in Westminster about sharing the spoils of an economy that um, has spending pressures on government spending, isn't growing, and so therefore the tax revenues aren't there to be spent. So all of those Brexit promises about more money for the NHS, lower energy prices, lower food prices, lower immigration, none of them have been fulfilled, and it's time to have that grown-up conversation with the British And Keir Starmer has to have it. Otherwise, I'm not going to take him seriously either.
2: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.
1: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.
0: Let me ask you this, Chris. Is this a government that you can do business with? I'm thinking about Miho Martin, or it'll soon be Leo Vradka, our own Taoiseach, can anybody do business with this government in its present state? I just got through the chancellors, chancellors of the Exchequer since 2019. You do, I don't need to tell you, but perhaps for our listeners, Jeremy Hunt, Kwasi Kwarteng, Nadhim Zahari in the dying days of the Johnson regime, Rishi Sunak, Sajid Javid also. Javid didn't last long because he wouldn't let Dominic Cummings run his department of the Treasury for him. And, and since 2016, David Cameron, Theresa May, Boris Johnson, Liz Truss, and you can add a, another name to that next week. Who it will be, nobody knows. Can you do business? Can Micheál Martin or Leo Varadkar, or indeed Sinn Féin in the North or anybody do business with this government, never mind the big powers like the U.S. and others?
3: I don't think so because as we know, particularly under the leadership of Johnson, uh, words given, documents signed, agreements signed, uh, treaties signed were, were not um, yes. adhered to. Uh, they were reneged upon. So certainly if he makes a comeback, nobody, there is nobody on this planet that would trust trust him with anything, let alone um, an international order. He is the
0: favorite candidate of the members. When a poll was taken the day before yesterday, he was the favored candidate of 32% of the members who will be voting in a week's time on the next leader and if he's in that hunt and i think he will be personally where where are you then
3: i think it's perfectly possible that johnson makes a comeback because of the peculiar structures of the voting system of the conservative party i think the moment if he were to be elected the first question that anybody's going to ask is, how long is he going to last this time? and When is the, the resignation or the sacking going to come for whatever reason? That's how deeply cynical we would be, I think, the country at large, not just me.
0: About And he still has a charge of misleading Parliament in front of him, and that committee hasn't decided yet, but he could be elected and also at the same time found guilty of misleading the House of Commons, and therefore he would be forced to resign.
3: Wouldn't it be ironic if that committee reported on the same day as as he was elected in that Yeah, I think
0: they can just about manage to avoid that happening. On a more serious point, Chris, economics is your specialty subject. How much damage that is permanent has quasi-quatang's mini-budget caused? Not damage that is temporary, damage that is permanent in terms of interest rates, people's mortgages, and indeed people who are in difficult circumstances, living in difficult circumstances, how much worse has that problem become in Britain's economy as a result of these 44 days of mistrust?
3: As mistrust would testify, nothing in life is forever, not even in economics. So I don't know about permanent damage, but I certainly think long-lasting damage has been done for the reasons that I've just said. Um, Essentially, this huge dose of uncertainty and instability that's been injected into the economy, into people's lives. So imagine that you're trying to make big life spending decisions about whether or not to buy a house, whether or not to spend some money on anything, actually, whether you're a a business or a consumer. You've been marched up the hill and back down again several times recently. Just think about the energy bill thing. We We were told only a couple of weeks ago, safe for two years in terms of our energy bills. Still high, but at least most of us thought they were going to be manageable and that the help that the government was going to give us um, enabled us to do a little bit of household budgeting for the next two years. Now, under Hunt, for understandable reasons, because they don't have the money, we've been told that we've only got this energy subsidy for another six months and that uh, we're going to be back to the energy price crisis As soon as next April. When you have this and a whole host of other factors buffeting people, the natural thing for any business to do is to stop spending, stop investing, and just wait and see. The natural thing for a consumer to do is pretty similar. You hunker down because you don't know what the future is going to bring, both in terms of your incomes and the prices you're going to pay with whatever income you've got. So, therefore, that is all very economically damaging. So, it has an immediate short term impact um on growth and i do think the economy will be in is and will be in recession um pretty soon and for as long as this uncertainty exists and it feels to me like it's going to exist for a long time because this government isn't going anywhere um at least on on present form i think this uncertainty is going to persist for the foreseeable future and if they do daft things like that picking a trade war with europe that you and i have talked about many times if they continue to persist in doing these economically insane things, which, as I say, is a, <laughs> it's a long list, then the economy will be damaged for a very long period of time. So the economic fallout from this is huge, in my opinion, and therefore the political fallout is huge because they're not going to rescue their own position. There is no candidate that is going to come up with a, a set of balanced economic policies that will solve these problems. The only thing on offer to the UK at the moment is from Jeremy Hunt and that's a rerun of austerity, Eamon. And this has yes. kind of sort of been lost in the noise around Liz Truss. Is that what's what the new Chancellor Hunt is up to? Is in in different guise, just what George Osborne did. Now the, the the difference between the two men is that Osborne had a choice; he didn't have to do austerity because the money was there, interest yes. rates were zero. He could have borrowed rather than um, raise, you know, cutting government spending. The reason why. Hunt is doing austerity is because he has to. He doesn't have a choice. Because the economy is in such poor shape, isn't generating the tax revenues that they need for all of their spending commitments, he has to do austerity. It's just fiscal arithmetic. It's relentless. It is reality, as I say, biting them. But it is austerity, Mark, two, with the key difference that it was a choice for Cameron and Osborne, and for that they should stand condemned forever. Yes. But Hunt simply doesn't have the, have a choice. There is
0: no money. Just a final thought, Chris, this European research group known as they call themselves the Spartans, Liz Truss was their representative as prime minister and indeed in cabinet before that. This is a group of about 130 MPs, as I understand it. They are not going to let the next prime minister do what he or she believes in without Causing real trouble for the Conservative Party is that a fair assessment that they could actually, as you said at the start of our conversation, they could end up destroying the Tory Party. I think this is where it's. Yeah,
3: this is where it has to go. This is where it has to go. They've been doing this for 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 decades now, and certainly this isn't going to stop them from doing it. Um, you know they're toadies in the media already in the Daily Telegraph. Only today there's a big headline. Comment piece saying that this is all the fault of Remainers. I mean, it, yes. it's it's insane. Um, yes, it is. it is. just insane. But this is this is this is what we've got. This is who these one hundred and twenty or so Spartans actually are. And frankly speaking, personally, I can only hope that these Spartans go the way of the original Spartans at Thermopylae, and that we, you know films will be made about them in the future. But they'll all have been defeated. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, One Channel 4 anchor last night called them what they were but I can't, I'm afraid, share it with you or indeed with our listeners but he's on a week's suspension anyway Chris Johns, former Chief Economist with the Bank of Ireland of course and now a very respected commentator we're very grateful to you for joining us thanks to Chris thanks to all of you for listening that's all we have time for now we'll talk to you soon